If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and meet together at Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Amen. Amen. Love that. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. And that's why these teenagers applaud the Word of God, the number one lost and found item in churches all across America. Not umbrellas. It's Bibles. And if we're going to leave a dent on the planet for the glory of God, it's through His holy, precious Word. It was a Tuesday afternoon group of football players began to get their equipment together, put it in their bags, began to load the bus. Third string, we don't know his name as the story is told. Third string in parentheses means you don't play. I understand that fully because that was my role as a college basketball player. Third string was my title. A lot of people got to get hurt in front of you to play in that game, but you wait your time Wait your turn. This young man known as third string was a senior. College student. Didn't get a chance to play one single game. Four years of attending this university. As he's getting on the bus, the coach pulls him aside as they were heading to the game for Saturday. The coach pulled him aside and he said, son, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this. But I just received word that your father just passed away. So don't worry about this game. You're going home. Be with your mama, take care of your sisters, make the arrangements, we'll be thinking about you. Yes, sir, was the response to third string. Saturday morning, as the teams assembled into each locker room, the pep talks were given, sidelines were filled, the audience gathered in allegiance to their team. Somehow, someway, third string got into the locker room. He got all the equipment that he needed. Got his jersey on. Managers bring extra jerseys. He found an extra jersey. He put it on. Helmet on, chin strapped tight, mouthpiece in. Silent, he walked onto the football field that day. All his friends began to ask the question, what are you doing here? But he said nothing. He made a beeline right for the coach. Coach was startled by the fact that he was here. The coach began to say, I told you to go home. What are you doing here? Third string said these words, Coach, I have to play today. Kickoff started. Third string stood there. He said it again. Coach, I have to play today. He said, Son, your third string, we'll see what we can do. One more time, Coach, I don't think you understand. I need to play today. He looked at the defensive coordinator and he said, what do you think? Defensive coordinator said, put him in for one play. Long story short, into four quarters, announced over the intercom system, most valuable player. Not just one play, but multiple plays. They, matter of fact, they didn't pull him out on the defensive unit. And at the end of a game, most valuable player, third string. He was down on one knee, helmet on tight, mouthpiece in, tears flowing down his face. All the reporters trying to figure out who is this third string. No stats, no scouting reports, nobody knew who this man was. Coach breaks through the crowd. He said, son, stand up. He said, four years you've been on this team, I've never seen you play like that. What got into you today? 
third string said these words. He said, Coach, on Tuesday, you told me my daddy died. But you never met my dad. My dad was blind. He sat in the stands on many Saturdays, but never able to watch me play football. But, sir, my daddy was a Christian. And the Bible teaches when you get to heaven, you get a whole new set of everything. And he said, the reason why I had to play today, because today was the first time my daddy ever watched me play football. And he said, all I could hear in my ear today was these words. Go, son, go. I want you to hear me today. God the Father looked at his son and said these words. Go, son, go. And Jesus Christ came to this earth and he ran this race, endured pain and suffering. And at any moment he could have tapped out, called legions of angels to rescue him, but he stayed because of love on that cross. Then he said these words, it is finished, paid in full. And they placed him in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he rose again as the undefeated, undisputed, heavyweight champion of the world. Come on, let's clap our hands to celebrate that truth today. I want to share a message entitled, No More Excuses. Matthew chapter 3, if you're with me this morning, say amen. Beginning in verse 4, the Bible says, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locust and wild honey. By the way, this is the demeanor of a prophet. Verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. I don't have time to unpack this, but 400 years of silence between the end of the book of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, Amos chapter 8, which is a book of the Bible, would say that men were searching to and fro for the word of God, but there was no fresh revelation. John the Baptist breaks the silence. Here's his message. It's not politically correct, but here's his message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He would take that spotlight off himself, and he'd put it on Jesus, the one that he was called to announce, a sacred privilege. All the region begins to go out to John the Baptist, not because he was clever, not because he was charismatic, but because his message was concise and quite pointed. And there in that moment, he is encountered by what's known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Pharisees believe in the totality of the Old Testament. The Sadducees only believe in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees did. But they are unified in their approach because they want to get baptized. And John the Baptist has a conversation with some religious leaders, for those of you that did not grow up in church much like myself, to give you a mental picture of who John the Baptist is talking to. He's talking to the Paul Blart mall cops of the world. It is religious leaders that are not packing heat, but they will tase you in a heartbeat with just rules and restrictions. Rules and restrictions. I want you to notice this, beginning in verse... Number seven, but when he saw many of the Pharisees, that is John the Baptist, and Sadducees coming for baptism, 
He said to them, you brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. What is John the Baptist saying to a group of religious men? Repent from religion. Religion is a man-made effort to obtain a relationship with God. You might hear this analogy that we're all working up some mountain to get God. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. It's not you and me working up some mountain to get God. It's God coming down the mountain to get us. I never forget I was at a McDonald's. My wife and I, we've been married 17 years. We have four children under the age of 12, between the ages of 7 and 12. That's a prayer request, by the way. We're at a McDonald's. My kids automatically begin to get the napkins and the straws and the ketchup packets, and I begin to place the order. $26 and some change was that bill. In the background, I could hear my wife and my three daughters and my son beating on the table, pancakes, pancakes, pancakes. As I got my wallet out, I began to get my credit card and swipe the credit card machine. Sweet lady behind the counter said, sir, it's cash only this morning. The credit card machine doesn't work. In the background, I heard this echo. Pancakes, pancakes, pancakes. Now, both of my parents are deaf, hearing impaired. I'm fluent in sign language. And so I turned to my wife and made this motion, sign language. She turned back and made another form of sign language. She went. And it was at that moment, as I turned back to the cash register, I'm not making this up, not embellishing. As I turned back to the cash register, there's a gentleman all dressed in leather standing next to me. He's a part of a motorcycle gang, and to be honest with you, I'm startled. I'm freaked out. I'm socially awkward. I didn't know what to say. So I just said, good morning. How you doing? Nothing. All of a sudden, he reaches into his back pocket, pulls out a leather wallet, thus the theme of leather in his life, attached to a chain, attached to his hip, and then he laid down a 20, a 5, several ones, and he walks to the door, turns around, and speaks says one word to me, grace, and left. Now, the moral of that story is not for you to show up at McDonald's hoping some man in leather pays for your breakfast. The Bible teaches that we entertain angels unaware. I just wish they didn't wear leather, all right? The moral of this story is this. I looked at a debt I could not pay cash only. Could not pay the debt. But my debt was paid in full and then some because of one word, grace. You and I owe a debt we can't pay, ladies and gentlemen. John the Baptist is looking at religious leaders saying to them, your religion will not pay for your debt. It's by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. I meet people all the time that will say this, I believe in Jesus and to that I applaud you. So do the demons. James 2.19 says the demons believe in Jesus and they fear and tremble. So when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, many make excuses based upon the fact of I've been religious. Good people don't go to heaven, saved people go to heaven. Saved from what? Your sin. Now I meet people all the time that say I'm a good person. They live with what's known as a scale system. The good outweighing the bad. I do not negate the fact that you're good people. But if you live with a mindset that the good outweighs the bad, you need to be reminded that heaven is holy. Psalm 5.4 says God cannot look upon evil. Revelation 21, 26, and 27 says nothing unclean gets into heaven. You say, Ed, what, what does it mean to be unclean? Romans 3.10, none righteous, no, not one. 
Romans 3.23, for all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Psalm 51.5 says we're born into iniquity. Isaiah 59.2 says our sins have separated us from a holy God. Colossians 1 says we're enemies of God. What causes us to be enemies? Sin. You say, Ed, I'm a good person, but listen to me. James 2.10 says you break one commandment, you've broken them all. And if we're to go through the list of the Ten Commandments and just begin to park on one, thou shall not lie. We all stand guilty. And if we broke one, we've broken them all, which means we're disqualified from heaven, which means that you and I need a Savior. We need a rescuer. We need a redeemer. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God, the great exchange. And John the Baptist speaking to a group of religious people that knew the Bible backwards and forwards says, repent from your religion. Number two, you'll notice not only does he say, repent from your religion. He says, don't trust in your relationships. Verse 9, Matthew chapter 3. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise from these stones children of Abraham. Now I realize that that sounds quite complexing, quite difficult. There might be several layers to this interpretation. But I was speaking to a group of teenagers in Israel. I did a youth camp in Israel one particular time. And I'll never forget on my day off, I went into a bookstore and began to share my faith with the owner. Reasoning from the scriptures, from the Old Testament. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, young man, my assurance of salvation is founded not in Jesus Christ, but I am a descendant of Abraham. Where was his reliance? Where was his assurance that he's in the family tree of Abraham. That's what John the Baptist is speaking to. You cannot trust in your nationalistic heritage. It is about a tree, but it's not about a family tree. It's about the tree called Calvary. Where you and I, as enemies of God, Gentiles or Jew, Gentiles standing for the ethnicity that obviously we're from all over the world. But it's by Jesus that we're made a part of the family of God. And so all of a sudden he says that God could raise from these stones children of Abraham, which means that God could do the miraculous. Our lives, for those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that is God has done the miraculous. No one in this room could begin to somehow, some way, state their resume before a holy God and say, I'm worthy. We receive something we don't deserve. And it's by faith, And repentance, faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of our sin, whatever we're turning from, we're trusting in. I remember the story that I came across. I love true stories like this about a senior adult woman that was in California. She was grocery shopping one day, and as she came out of the grocery store, four grocery bags in hand, one pocketbook draped over her shoulder, she gets to her vehicle, and she notices there's several men inside her vehicle. Immediately, she understands that she is being carjacked, but no worries, no need to unzip the pocketbook and get out the cell phone. According to the article, she pulls out a semi-automatic handgun. Now, let me just say this. That's my kind of grandma right there. Now, using a little bit of sanctified imagination, some of you know exactly who Medea is, our young people for sure. And as I read that article, I was using some imagination, and I just pictured that that grandma was not holding that gun with fear and trepidation, both hands shaking. 
But instead, grandma was holding that gun gangster style, like, don't make me. She was kind of holding it to the side, like, I'm familiar with this handgun. Don't make me use this handgun on you. All of a sudden, these individuals flee the scene. Grandma handled business. She gets in the car after putting the grocery bags in the back seat. Now pay attention to these details. She gets the car keys out with the ignition key and attempts to put it into the ignition slot, and it does not fit. For those of you that are not on the same page yet, let me just pause for dramatic fashion. Instead of being hijacked, Grandma just hijacked someone else's car. And by that time when she realized it, the police were already knocking on the window. Her car was four spaces down. And the way she got out of that debacle, here's what she said, senior moment. That's what she said. Can I say this to you? There's not many roads that lead to heaven. There's one road. There's one vehicle. There's one key. Faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. It gets to verse 10. Verse 10 begins to explain Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The axe is at the root of the tree. What is John the Baptist saying to a group of religious leaders? Not only repent from your religion, don't rely on your relationships to Abraham. Which, by the way, I know that sounds foreign to many of us. But I meet people all the time that will say, well, I'm a church member. I've been baptized or I've been on a mission trip. See, we just fill in the blank with different things. Safe by association does not work unless you are associated with Jesus. Better yet, Jesus being associated with you. And that comes by you calling on his name for salvation. That whosoever calls on his name shall be saved. Saved from what? Our sin. Saved from ourself. And saved from being eternally separated from God. The Bible teaches in James chapter 4 that life is like a vapor here for a moment then gone. The only moment you and I have been promised in this life is this moment right here. We do not know what tomorrow holds. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man to die once, then face the judgment. Therefore realize all of us are at the brink of eternity every day we take another step. This father was adamantly opposed to going to the church down the road, but his wife and his children went quite consistently. But this father's world was rocked forever because one day, on a normal day, his wife and his children were tragically killed in an automobile accident. The first thing that church did, much like this church, poured out ministry to that man. They made him meals. They sought to take up a love offering, to bless him, take care of all the funeral arrangements. His message with a slam door, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want your charity. The way he decompressed, the way that he found therapy, was he went to the local aquatic center, and he began to swim laps every day, shower, head to work. One particular day, he goes into the aquatic center. He's usually the first one there, lights don't come on. He looks at his watch and says, I have to get this workout in. He stands up on the diving board, and it was a full moon that early, early morning. And as he stands up on the diving board, window behind him, full moon that morning, he makes that diving formation as he stands at the edge of that diving board. That shadow of his own body is now cast upon the wall on the opposite end of the pool of a cross. 
Because as he made that diving formation, that full moon created a cross using his own body, other side of the pool. In that moment, all those messages begin to wash over him from that local church. Jesus saves. He bowed his knee on a diving board and gave his life to Jesus Christ, which means that God's willing to step out of heaven anytime, anywhere, even on a diving board. And it was there that as he stood up, he thought that Jesus was talking to him, but it was the custodian that was apologizing for a fuse that was blown in the breaker. And this is how this went down. Sir, I'm so sorry. Fuse was broken. And as he clicked on the switch, both of them were speechless. Here's the reason why. No water in the pool. All of us in this room are one step away from eternity. One step away. You say, Ed, you're trying to scare me this morning. No, listen to me. I'm trying to encourage you that there's an answer There's a resolution. There is an assurance that you and I could know that if our life were to come to an end today, that we're going to heaven all because of Jesus. Salvation is not a feeling. It's a fact. Have you ever called upon the name of Jesus to be saved? Verse 12, and I'm done. Not only do we notice that John the Baptist says, repent from religion. Don't rely on your relationships. Don't rest In this moment of I have a lot of time. Be ready is what John the Baptist is saying to him. Be ready. Now's the day of salvation. Only moment you've been promised is right now. And then he now speaks to the reality of hell. I say this with no joy in my heart whatsoever. But I work for GPS, God's Postal Service. I don't get to select what I speak on. Therefore, verse 12 says... His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he'll burn with unquenchable fire. That sifting tool known as the winnowing fork is the gospel. There will be a day that the division happens. The wheat is the profitable. The chaff is the unprofitable. The wheat are those that have called upon the name of Jesus. The chaff are those that say thanks but no thanks to Jesus. But there is coming a day where Jesus will say to those that said thanks but no thanks, depart from me, I never knew you. I meet people that say this often. If God is such a loving God, why does he send people to hell? And my response is this. God gives the final decree. But it's our sin that sends us to hell, not God. No one in this room could shake their fist at a holy God and say, you're not fair. Let me just go ahead and say it this way. God could send all of us to hell and be perfectly just in doing so. But he chooses not to. And so grace is receiving something we don't deserve. And now he bestows mercy on us, which means he does not give us what we do deserve. Mercy. I'll close with this illustration. I speak at youth camps in the summer, which is how I met your phenomenal young men and young ladies, a part of this church. I was at a camp several years ago, and the free time option on a midweek afternoon was to go to the pool. There were a group of 11th and 12th grade football players hanging out at the pool, and when you get a group of 11th and 12th grade football players together, there's only one thing that's going to happen at that pool, and that's called a belly flop competition. A lot of linemen were there. All of a sudden, these linemen begin to chant my name. Ed, Ed, Ed. I prayed a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, 
I'm 165 pounds. But would you let me win this belly flop competition? Because I need these football players to listen to tonight's sermon. I stood up to the edge of the pool. It said three feet of water to my right. Next to that three feet of water sign was a circle with a line through it. With a man, by the way, notice that, a man, not a woman. You'll never see a sign, slippery when wet, don't dive. It'll never be a woman. It's always a man. Ladies, pray for us, I'm telling you. And for those of you that have seen that sign with that circle with a line through it and that man who's diving, obviously the lightning bolts coming off his head in that picture means traumatic injury. I jump out into what's known as the flying squirrel. It's a very specific dive. I'm going to pancake the water for the glory of Jesus. But my head being a little too heavy, no need to make any comment began to lead me into what's known as a watermelon dive, which basically is a reverse cannonball, which means that that's not the right way to go into the water, especially when it's three feet in measurement. Had no time to put my hands down. My face on the bottom of that pool, now that sound would be the fourth time in my life that I've broken my nose. After the third time, I had to have surgery. Fourth time, I know this is not going to be good. I come up out of the water. I'm bleeding profusely. It looked like Shark Week off Discovery Channel. All circled around me. And I'll never forget this because it was a resort area. And I'm face to face with a senior adult man I've never met in my entire life. Who's not a part of the camp. He's vacationing. He's leaning on the edge of the pool. Not phased by just what happened. Or the blood ring around me. He looks at me and goes, young man, you're bleeding from your face. That's what he told me. In my heart, I said, thank you very much, Captain Obvious. I appreciate that. The whistle that's been blown telling everybody to get out of the pool has made it very clear that this is not good. I get back to my room. By the way, I talk out loud to myself. How many of you would admit that you talk out loud to yourself? Would you just raise your hand? Thank you so much. How many of you would admit that you talk out loud to yourself using your own name, which means you use your own name in the third person as you talk back to yourself? We all need counseling, all right? But I literally in that moment, and I want to close with this, in that moment I went, Ed. And I began to measure from my nose to the top of my forehead. And as I began to talk out loud to myself, I realized I was three inches away from being paralyzed for the rest of my life. I was in Arkansas just a few weeks ago on the front row of a congregation. It was a young man in a wheelchair. I immediately asked him the question, four-wheel accident? That's what he said to me. No. Belly flopping into a pool. Paralyzed for the rest of his life. Can I tell you what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what I deserved. Not getting it. I deserved to be paralyzed. But by the grace of God, I walk away with a broken nose. A funny story, but underscore broken nose. Deserve so much more. We started this message with grace. We end this message with mercy. And today I believe there are many of you that need to make the greatest decision of your life and you're 16 inches away from heaven. Oh, it's not four. It's 16. You say, Ed, what are you talking about? Because you know so much about Jesus up here, but you've never allowed that to be here. And I'm going to ask that everybody in the house of God stand with me if you don't mind. Everybody's standing. I'm going to ask Miss Denise if she'll come and begin to play softly behind me. 
With heads bowed, eyes closed for a brief moment, thank you so much for your attention. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your participation in this message. But with heads bowed, eyes closed for just a brief moment. Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Does not sound like good news, but it really is good news. Here's the reason why. Because all of us have fallen short, which means that you're not alone. But Romans 5.8 says this. But God demonstrated his love towards us while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. Jesus was wrapped in grace and mercy as he came. And Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Now notice that. It's not just empty words we say. They're attached to a heart confession. That God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Whosoever calls on his name shall be saved. Which means there has to be a time and place where you do call on his name. For me, I was a high school student when I made that decision. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, making him the Lord and Savior, the boss of your life, this morning I fearlessly invite you to make the greatest decision of your life. Whether you're a visitor, whether you're a church member, I believe there are people in this room that need to give their life to Jesus Christ today.